This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 472. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am doing the show today without Matthew or Jacob because we have a special guest for today's show, and I'll introduce him in just a moment, so stand by. It's going to be a great time. Today's episode, though, is sponsored by our 2021 first annual Guardian Conference. Uh, and I'll just give you a little uh, heads up that today's guest is hoping that he can be a part of the 2022 Guardian Conference. But before we get to 2022, we got to have the 2021 training conference. It's going to be a great time, guys, in Oklahoma City. Uh, in fact, we have John from Yukon, Oklahoma, that I believe I saw you sign up, John. So he's watching here on Facebook. We appreciate that, John. It's going to be a good time. We got a lot of great instructors already lined up for this event, including Larry Vickers. We got Matt Little coming. We've got Spencer Keepers uh, and and also some other great, maybe lesser known instructors like Haney McMood, uh, Brian Eastridge, really great guy. And many of you might also know uh, Chuck Haggard. And Chuck Haggard's going to be there as well and probably a few others. So guys, go check it out. Go to guardianconference.com to sign up. Uh, early bird pricing going on right now. Prices will go up if you don't take advantage of it now. And signups so far are looking really good, guys. A lot of you are already signing up, so um, looking great. And there is a max capacity limit. I'm not going to say exactly what that is, so don't delay and don't miss out. So once again, one last shout out, guardianconference.com for the website. And now let's get to our special show guest. So... Who do I have with me today? It's Mr. Tim Heron from TimHeronShooting.com. What is up, Tim? Hey, Riley. What's going on? I'm super excited to finally have you on. You know, we've been talking about it. Uh, I was in your class several months ago, and I'm just a big, bad slacker and not making this happen a little sooner. <laughs> Dude, no, it happens. Uh, we've both been super busy. Um, I know you told me, to like, I guess after our class in Colorado, you know, you're like, Hey, reach out to me. I don't want to forget this. Let's get this going. And then of course I got super busy with everything too. And I was like, Oh, I'm sure Riley will remember, or I'll remember, or we'll get to this. And I mean, that was what last September. So here we are in in, in January now. So yeah, it's, it's happening. Finally, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, life gets busy. Uh, you, you, you certainly are busy traveling all across the country, teaching classes, uh, at full time, which is awesome because not a lot of instructors are able to truly do instruction. Firearms instruction is a full time business, and so before we get too far along, you know, why don't you give us a little introduction about yourself, Tim? Tell us kind of who you are, where you came from, how you got to where you where you are. And uh, kind of a little bit of that journey too into becoming a full time, you know, this becoming a full time business for you. Yeah. No. Uh, so um, I started shooting in 2010. And when I mean started shooting, I wasn't one of these guys that, uh, you know, like grew up around guns. I, you know, I was, wasn't really from a family that had, uh, you know, that had firearms or anything. I mean, my grandfather hunted, um, but I, I never went hunting with my grandpa when I was young and things like that. I always, I'd always thought about, you know, like, 
I mean, just like the typical kid, you know, you'd go out in the woods back behind the house and play army with my friends and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but no, I mean, it just, my, my path in life kind of went a different direction. Um, you know, I got married pretty young, um, and had to, you know, throughout my entire twenties and things. So like no military, no, no law enforcement experience or anything like that. Um, I, I literally kind of fell into, into firearms, uh, and, and kind of the, I guess you could say the lifestyle, um, um, kind of, I don't want to say by sheer happenstance, cause right. It was, it was kind of done by on purpose. Um, I kind of went through some, some trying times in life, um, back in like 2008, 2009. And in 2010, I became a single father, um, full-time dad of two. And, um, we kind of had to make some moves, you know, the, to some, maybe maybe to a not so great neighborhood and, and, uh, you know, and it just, we had to do what we had to do. Right. And so one of my, my biggest concerns was being able to want to protect, you know, me and my, and especially my kids, you know, and my family, you know, from, from, you know, possible bad things that could happen. So one of those things was a friend of mine, that kind of introduced me to, uh, to shooting firearms. And, um, I went to the range with her a couple of times and, went shooting and was like, Oh my God, this is so, so cool. Um, so I went out immediately, bought my first gun. We're not even going to discuss what it was because I'm sure you can already imagine, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, what I, what I bought for a first gun, just as, uh, as a lot of, you know, first time shooters do. Um, but for me, um, I had never, I've never been that type of person who just like, Oh, I'm going to shoot a couple hundred rounds and you know, I figured it out. I'm a guy. Right. So of course I, already know how to shoot just like I already know how to drive. And yeah, it, I'm not like that. So I, you know, I, I sought outside instruction. Um, you know, I took a, a, you know, like an NRA basic pistol class and I took NRA like inside the home protection and outside the home protection. And when, when those programs kind of were, you know, first came available in, you know, the, the 2008, 2009, 2010 in that era. Um, and, and fortunately kind of fell into a really good range a uh, little indoor range owned by, uh, you know, kind of a mom and pop uh, couple that uh, allowed me to come in like every Saturday morning. And man, I would shoot two, 300 rounds every single Saturday. And, uh, you know, I just, I met and was surrounded with the, with the right people at the right times throughout my life to kind of really guide me on a journey that something that kind of went from, you know, purchasing a handgun for self-defense um, turned into, a hobby turned into competition, turned into more than a hobby, turned into a full-time passion. All while doing this, um, you know, I, I've worked a full-time career as a uh, as an automotive technician, uh, primarily with the Honda brand um, as a mechanic, basically, you know, in a dealership since, geez, 1998, 97, 98, something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, 20, 23 years as an automotive technician and kind of kind of building my way as a, as a shooter, uh, competitively, especially, um, over that amount of time, it kind of led me to what I feel like is my ultimate calling, which was, uh, I enjoy teaching. I want to give everybody the same experience, you know, or, or hope to, to give everybody the same experience that I've had along the way, you know, throughout my journey of, uh, of in the shooting sports, as well as, you know, just, in the, in, again, like I said, that, that kind of lifestyle of being a firearms owner, um, you know, I've always had really, really cool, uh, really cool people and, you know, really successful people that have kind of surrounded me, you know, surrounded me and helped me and supported me that, uh, I want to be that guy to give back. Um, 
I, I kind of got my chops teaching actually performance driving um, for many, many years. Uh, you know, of course, being a mechanic, everybody's always like, oh, you're surely you're into cars. And yeah, for a long time I was um, mm-hmm. until I just I had raced and raced and raced for so many years that I just I got burned out on it. <laughs> so um, the, the shooting sports actually kind of just replaced what it was that I loved about competition and what I loved about, um, you know, improvement and personal improvement and things like that. Um, so I kind of just, you know, kind of out with, I don't want to say out with the old, I still enjoy, you know, I, I got a ton of friends still in the, you know, in the race car driving days and things like that. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've kind of just replaced everything with, I, I went, you know, just absolutely nose deep in, uh, you know, into the shooting sports. And, uh, that's kind of become now my, my primary my primary love and passion. So um, I'd started teaching kind of part-time as I'd gotten good with shooting. You know, I'd, I went and got my NRA certifications to, uh, to instruct just so I could, I could gain the insurance and kind of, you know, get, get some extra knowledge. And I, you know, learned and bounced ideas and things as, as most of us do as, you know, kind of, kind of new instructors. And, you know, you'd see guys struggling at the range and like, man, I want to help that guy. And, oh man, I want to help that lady. And, oh man, I want to help the, those folks with their kids and, you know, give them a, just a time of their lives. And, uh, and just the more I was drawn to the teaching aspect of it, the, the more I wanted to do that more than anything else. So um, I began teaching professionally um, as a kind of a part-time career back in 2015. And uh, so, yeah, about five years into my, uh, you know, my, my kind of my shooting career, um, all while also, again, like I said, holding down a, you know, a, a nine to five job every day and, uh, and competing, you know, um, at 2015, 2016, like fully on a national level, you know, um, being able to shoot with, with guys that you and I know very, very well, um, guys like Todd Jarrett and, you know, some, some weird dude, he's kind of, kind of silly out of Arizona named Rob Latham. Um, you know, I mean, guys that now I consider, I mean, they've been my heroes for years that now are you know, good friends of mine and, and, you know, peers, um, 2015 started teaching 2016. I I got into it a little deeper, 2017, 2018, when 2018 came around, um, teaching and and traveling to teach kind of actually broke away and became, um, more of an important entity to me in in a career than actually, uh, working on cars did anymore. So I was then of course, then kind of, kind of branding myself uh, with my company and, and, you know, and, and training company and traveling all over the place. Um, and I started spending less and less time, you know, trying to kind of wean myself off of employment, you know, as far as being employed by somebody else and doing my own thing. And uh, the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I went into this uh, as a full-time career and, uh, and left, you know, kind of left the, uh, the security of a full-time job to, uh, to do this full-time. And, uh, 2019 was, was very successful for a first, you know, for my first year for first full year doing this. And, uh, actually 2020, despite all of the, you know, <laughs> the trials and tribulations that was the last, uh, the last 12 months, 2020 was really, really good for me actually. So I had a, had a few cancellations at the beginning of the year when, when COVID really struck hard at first and, uh, with a lot of the government shutdowns and things like that, but uh, bounce back came a long way. And uh, actually for my second year, I think I taught 20, 25 or 26 classes and I've got 31 or 32 on the books for this year um, on a schedule. Um, and that's with me basically cutting my teaching schedule shy, uh, shy 
the end of October and not teaching through November, December, as I also prepare personally to, to get ready to hope, hopefully represent the United States at the world shoot, which will be in Thailand um, in November uh, for USBSA slash the international version, uh, IPSC, IPSC. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah. That's a big deal. And very exciting. Of course, the uh, world shoot was supposed to happen in 2020. It was pushed back <laughs> thanks to COVID, um, and 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 looks like it's going to go on. But hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah, fingers crossed, right? Yeah, what a, what a time we are in. What a time for you. I mean, I'm glad to hear that your second full year of teaching uh, professionally full time went as well as it did, considering everything that that was thrown at us, you know, yeah. so uh, definitely uh, many of us recognize the impact that that COVID has had on our businesses and on shooting and uh, everything that's come along with it. We went from toilet paper shortages to ammo shortages and we're still in the ammo shortage crisis. Why wish we just go back to the toilet paper shortage? Cause you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'd make some sacrifices on the TV <laughs> department if I could have some ammo. I would too. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, Tim, uh, that's such an awesome story. I, I love, I love your story because you're just like this totally, don't take this the wrong way, but like you were like a totally average guy as far as just, just going about your, your life, yep. you know, automotive technician, raising a family, just doing your thing. And then one day you start shooting and you get better and then you compete and you get better. And what do you know? Here you are 10 years, you know, I guess 10, right now into about 11, 11 years. Year. Yep. Basically a decade later, you, you're full-time traveling, teaching and uh multi-discipline or multi-division uh, uh, grandmaster USPSA. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's quite a, growth trajectory um not a lot of people were able to achieve what you've done in in a decade frankly in the shooting sports so it has been it's it's definitely i guess you know i, I kind of you know aching it to you know somebody that's that's really you know driven to get good at just about anything right you know whether it be you know uh somebody that picks up you know taking a martial art you know i mean and it's honestly that's what shooting a handgun really is in in my view is it's, it's nothing more than just another type of martial art. And it was something that, you know, uh, that the whole like kind of natural ability um, type of thing. It, I did not have that. Um, it's taken a lot of work, um, a lot of sacrifices in a lot of other areas of my life, um, you know, to get good or, or to make myself get good at, at what it is I wanted to improve on. Um, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate though. You know, I've got two wonderful, uh, wonderful kids. I've got an amazing girlfriend that have, that have absolutely been, you know, a hundred percent supportive in every step of my, my, you know, life and career, um, especially in this career change, you know, I mean, I've, my, uh, my oldest now is 22 and, uh, you know, kind of lives across town here in Albuquerque and, uh, you know, making his own way in the world and things like that, too. And I couldn't be more proud of him. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a daughter to uh, just about ready to turn 16 here in a couple more weeks. And I mean, dude, they are my my biggest cheerleaders. You know, I mean, to, to have a daughter, I mean, I moved from Kansas, originally from Kansas City, Missouri. So to move from Kansas City, Missouri to Albuquerque, New Mexico with at the time, a 14 year old daughter in tow, you know, like you, you try to tell a 14 year old, like, Hey, 
I know you just started junior high, but uh, what do you think about moving to, you know, to a completely new place? You know, I mean, it may as well have been like taking her off of planet Earth and move to Mars, you know. And in fact, I mean, her attitude was just like, heck yeah, dad, let's do this. You know, it's going to be fun and I'll meet new people. And, you know, she she loves school when she gets to go to school, you know, like a normal teenage you know, teenage kid, unfortunately, you know, with all the shutdowns and everything too, I mean, schools here still haven't, uh, haven't come back into, you know, into session yet um, other than online. So she's doing online school, but she's, she's working as well too. And uh, you know, I mean, it's any time that I'm travel, you know, that's another thing It's like, I didn't really start doing this professionally. You know, I did professionally kind of part-time, but to become this, to become my full-time career, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, like, dad needs to go travel on Friday because he's got to teach a class on Saturday, Sunday, and I'll be back on Monday, you know, and then turn around and do it the next weekend and the next weekend. And to have her full, you know, just absolutely loving and undying support, you know, to say like, yeah, dad, I want to see you pursue your dreams and, you know, and, and do what you want to do and do what you love to do. And uh, I mean, dude, it, I feel like I am the most blessed and, and lucky person to walk the earth right now, you know, to, to, to have that, that type of opportunity, you know, um, my girlfriend, you know, at the same time, you know, she's helped me, she helped me design the website, which, you know, might be a little crude to some people, you know, I've had other web developers are like, Oh man, if you just did this and did that, but it's like, dude, we've done this on our own. You know, I mean, like she's helped me every step of the way. She helps me field their emails and, um, you know, helps me get, you know, get classes scheduled and gets me in touch with the right people and things like that too. I mean, it's, like I said, this is, it's been a, a full household effort, you know, and uh, it's, it's really cool to see how much this training company has grown in just the last, you know, two to three years, you know, especially two years on its own and to see what's in store for it, you know, from here on out and, and to see the, you know, the outpouring of, of folks that want to come and train with me, you know, you and, and so many others that, uh, that are super supportive in it. And not just because they're like, Oh darn, you know, that Tim Aaron, he's such a great guy. I guess I'll go ahead and support him and come take a class. And it's like, no, they, they see true like intrinsic value in what it is I I'm providing, you know, as an educator. And, and that's, that's super cool to me, you know, and I, I'm, I, there's not a single minute of my life goes by. I don't think, you know, thank God every day for, you know, this, this blessing, you know, and this opportunity I get to have. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you're talking to the happiest guy right now, you know, it's <laughs> so. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, you are quite often, I, I hear this said fairly frequently that people refer to you as the nicest guy in USPSA or the nicest guy in the shooting sports. Uh, and I think, you know, just like what you're exuding right now and your own attitude and happiness and sharing uh, your successes and, and kind of what's led you up to where you are now. Uh, it, it bleeds over into the way you, I think, desire to help your students share also in those successes, you know, in their oh, own successes definitely. of developing their own skills and achieving their dreams, you know, with, with a, a gun in their hands. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, and I, I say this just about like at every single class and I don't say it just because it's some rote, you know, feel good kind of thing. It's because I truly believe like, you know, and, and I tell students all the time, like, dude, I could literally 
you know, and, and I've been close a couple of times of winning a national championship and haven't, haven't quite done it yet. But, uh, you know, like if I never won a national or a world title as a competitive shooter, I wouldn't care. Right. Because it's to me, seeing the successes of every single one of my students, regardless of where they are on their journey, you know, to better themselves or to improve themselves as a shooter. Um, to me, that that is like the ultimate success story. You know, it, I, I could care less about having, you know, a, a plethora of trophies and, and titles on the wall. You know, it's like, what am I? I, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to build a legacy. And what what kind of legacy could I leave for future you know, future students, future instructors, even, you know, and I know I'm new to the instruction game, you know, but it's really neat to, to kind of, to, to been able to, to be very blessed to kind of win the approval of a lot of my peers, even in, especially in the professional instruction game, you know, guys like Tom Givens, um, who've been around forever, uh, Masada Yu, Michael Seeklander, you know, again, Rob Latham, um, I mean, these guys are, you know, at the absolute pinnacle of, you know, both professionally as instructors and educators, but also, you know, as a competitive shooters or just people in general that have, you know, kind of molded me um, along the way, you know, and even a lot of folks, even to, to lesser degrees. Um, you mentioned Chuck Haggard, um, you know, Chuck has been a, a, a Topeka, you know, a, Topeka police department, uh, Topeka police officer for years. And I've known Chuck since I kind of got into shooting and was again, kind of one of those like, Oh my God, the Chuck Haggard, you know, and unfortunately he's not been able to take my class and I've not been able to take any, any class from, uh, from his company at agile. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to see him in, in Dallas at, uh, at TACON, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is Tom Givens, big range master, uh, three day event. And, uh, I mean, just folks along the way too, Scott Jedlinski, um, Steve Fisher, um, you know, Chuck Pressburg, Bill Blowers. I mean, these are all guys that like little old me, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I don't have this 20, 30 year long career in the military or law enforcement, you know, I'm for all intents and purposes, I'm just a gamer, you know, some guy that plays, you know, plays gun golf, you know, and, and things like that. And to, to kind of win their approval and be kind of accepted into those circles as an educator as well, because, Again, like the value, but I don't think it's just the value of what I offer. But I, I think it's, I think it's honestly, like you said, it's having an attitude, you know, a good positive attitude, and wanting to be a, a positive source of information for just anybody I can possibly meet. You know, I, I, I don't want to be a degrading person. I don't want to be that that typical. I, I think this. I think our industry is filled with way too many of them already. But that whole alpha type you know, like I'm the man and you're nobody kind of thing. And this, that's not needed, you know, like all in all, we're all here for the exact same reasons, whether those reasons all brought us from different part, you know, diff- different sides of the circle or different sides of the coin, so to speak, we're all here basically for the common goal of wanting to get better. You know, like, like I said, with the martial art of shooting a handgun, right. Or just shooting period. So yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's what, that's what I love about this. Hmm. The, the family circle is is large, but it's also very tight knit and and, and kind of small. So yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, it doesn't take long before you you start bumping into folks that know a lot of the same folks in in this uh, sport and in this industry. Um, in your your two day practical performance pistol course mm-hmm. uh, that I had the pleasure of taking a few months ago. 
you, um, your structure of that course was, you know, Hey, you're going to start right off the bat shooting this basically a, a USPSA stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, you go through a bunch of instruction and whatnot, and then you shoot the stage again and you do some more stuff and work on some more things. And then you shoot the stage, you know, a final time. Um, the question I wanted to ask you for our audience right here, right now is, you know, maybe people hear a lot of talk about competitive shooting, USPSA, single stack, whatever, you know, stuff. You're a gamer and you are a gamer. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, they may be wondering, well, okay, how does this apply to me? And so I'd actually throw a question at you. What can someone that really just wants to up their game game in air quotes uh as a defensive oriented shooter what what can they gain from going through a class like yours and particularly what can we learn from shooting a common uspsa stage oh my god everything right i mean and and i think everything from gun handling right everything from being able to move effectively and move confidently with a gun in your hand um, you know, yes, the, you know, kind of the, the premise of the course, um, you know, or kind of the syllabus of the course is, is developed from, you know, somebody with, you know, a, a lot of competitive background or competitive shooting experience. However, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way the curriculum was, was kind of devised and, and, and put together was that it's, everything is applicable regardless of where you're at. You, where you are as a, as a shooter. And I think you saw that, you know, in our class, we had shooters that, you know, from a, a couple of folks in the class that were, you know, maybe I think picked up their first handgun just a year, maybe a year and a half, you know, before to a few of those folks, um, you know, uh, Charlie Perez being one of them, who is a, a top 10, you know, national level, uh, you know, competitive shooter in USPSA um, and, and everywhere in that skill set in between. I, I definitely put you in that top, like, top 16 at the national level, you know, and you were standing right next to a couple of guys that were kind of newcomers to, you know, maybe competitive shooting or maybe hadn't done a whole lot of competitive shooting, but it maybe done some training and things like that. And being able to have, you know, 12 completely different facets of, of individuals on the line, you know, all kind of walking their own path. And, and it's not just like, okay, all you gamer guys and okay, all you red dot guys or all you iron sight guys, right. There, there was no, like market niche to what it is. I, I think I try to bring to the table, you know, I've had a lot of folks that, that draw from concealment, you know, whether it be appendix and work from appendix very well. Um, people that work from like the three o'clock or the, or the, you know, or the seven o'clock position, you know, from behind the hip kind of holsters to guys running, you know, full, full tilt, you know, top fuel style race guns um, and everything in between. And that's what, that's exactly the audience that I've wanted to build the training around, right? Is I, it, it's I didn't want to get kind of, kind of shoehorned into. Well, you're just a gamer, and you just teach a gamer style course, right? And so, how do you make that? It, just like your question is, how do you make that relevant then to the average CCW, you know, uh, carrier or the average, you know, self defense user or somebody that maybe didn't even carry a gun? Maybe they just want to get a, a little bit more. Um, involved in being able to be more confident behind a gun. Maybe they're, you know, maybe their ideas of, of shooting are just like having a gun on a nightstand or in a drawer, 
you know, but they, they, they want to be able to protect themselves even within their own home. How do they do that? Well, I mean, honest to God, competitive shooting is, is honestly, that's, I, I think that's the best outlet to, to learn to do that or taking a class with somebody that, that, that kind of, you know, develops a program around that type of, that type of uh, situation, right? You're going to, you're going to learn how to have a gun up ready to shoot, right. Or be, be more confident and prepared to shoot um, from behind cover, you know, whether it means opening a door, you know, and being able to shoot one handed or being able to recognize or identify a target or identify a threat um, the moment that it's available, right. Or being able to intercept a target. Um, And all of those things are done. I mean, every single weekend, Um, you know, and every day throughout the week, a lot of times at indoor ranges, you know, with your local USPSA or IDPA clubs, just to get involved and and learn that stuff. So I think every single thing that, that I've learned and and, and been able to bring to the table as a, as a shooter and as an educator, yes, it comes from and is derived from a a competitive background, but I mean, and you know it as well. I mean, we, we travel in the same circles a lot, um, many, many, many of the folks in the, in the USPSA IDPA shooting circles are from law enforcement. They are from military. They are current military or law enforcement or defensive backgrounds. They're other instructors, right? I mean, it's so, so people that, that preach, you know, gamesmanship and competition, um, you know, this, this is coming from all angles. It's not just coming from somebody that of course, you know, primarily is, it, it shoots, competitively and is saying, yeah, come take my class because everything in competition, you know, comes full circle, even in the self-defense realm. Like we, you and I have seen this from the guys that we shoot every weekend with, you know, whether it be in classes or in competition. Um, and and I, I think it speaks volumes for the, the level of stuff that the level of good things, you know, and positivity that come from competition shooting that would make even the average concealed carrier a much, um, a much more confident user of a pistol, um, as far as not even just using a gun, but also in their decision-making, uh, processes. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, that's, like I said, that's kind of how I wanted to kind of develop the program. Um, so, I mean, day one of, uh, of practical performance, is a lot of more static shooting. So it, w- what people most typically see when they when they come to or they think of, uh, you know, any sort of firearms training is, you know, a bunch of people on the line and the instructor kind of walking up and down the line and giving individual coaching with each student, but kind of running the, the class overall through, you know, a, you know, kind of a checklist of different, you know, skills and drills and, and learning different techniques and things like that. Um, just from a static environment and static meaning, you know, just standing in one place and learning to just understand, right. That relationship between the hands and the eyes and the gun and yourself and the trigger and, and, and trying to build a better you, you know, and then day two is everything that we've taken from a, from a static background and learning just how to, to run a pistol you know, again, more confidently and to a higher level of performance, then it's taking all of that information and then applying it to, you know, kind of stage dynamics or, or just dynamics altogether, like moving with a gun in the hand, um, keeping the gun down range, being able to, to start building that presentation, um, you know, before you get to, you know, before you get to a, a shooting position, um, again, kind of target identification, um, shooting multiple targets and engagement orders and shooting on the move and, you know, movement around a stage 
movement around just the range and being able to, again, to just build that confidence. You know, most people, and I'm, we've, we've all seen it. You know, you put a gun in somebody's hand and you say, okay, I want you to move from this position to that position. And, you know, all of a sudden they're like, what, you know, and they're holding the gun as if that thing is just going to you know, explode completely in their hands if they move too fast. Right. So they, they start to do the little bunny hop and everything is very careful and they're, they're very cognizant of where the muzzle is pointed, but you know, we can do that, but also move with authority and move with confidence. And, you know, and by the end of the class, it's, it's trying to develop again, those skills to where the, the gun becomes more of an extension of your hand versus this odd, weird, foreign device that we are, you know, we, we still have a fear of it because we respect it. We don't have a, but we, we no longer have a fear of it because of what we don't know. Right. And that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, what, uh, you know, what, why I feel should bring people to, to the class. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that the thing that got me into competitive shooting a few years back was, uh, well, one, I kind of fell into an opportunity where I just went and did it and was like, boom, that was fun. Fun is good. Like more fun. Let's do it more, you know? Um, but, but also my desire as a, as a shooter, I mean, a big driver from, for me, as far as a motivating factor as to why I, I own guns, why I carry guns on a daily basis is, is that personal defense aspect. I mean, I've got my, my wife, my five kids, uh, that they depend upon me for not only, you know, taking care of the family from a financial standpoint, but also responsible for their safety primarily. And Mm -hmm. I recognize in myself that I knew that if I could develop my shooting skill to a level where it happens, at a level, you know, where it's automatic, right? Right. We call that like that, that unconscious competence. Right. Yeah. Automat- automaticity, um, that kind of thing, like where it just happens. You just do it. It's like driving your car. I mean, you're, you're an experienced driver and you're mm-hmm. not thinking about throttle and clutch and brake and shift and turn and, and whatever, like you just do it, right? It, the car is an extension of your brain. Essentially right. you're like, go here at this rate. Oh no, got to slow down. So, um, that's what I wanted shooting to become for, for me, because I recognize that these deadly encounters that unfortunately American citizens experience on a daily basis all across the country, you got enough on your plate as far as figuring out what's going on, reading the situation for what it is, trying to avoid it. If you can finding a way out, uh, navigating around the scene, putting yourself in a position of advantage, whatever you got all this stuff you got to figure out. And when it's time, when it's go time for that gun to come out of the holster, I like, there's still a lot of processing power that's going on in that brain of mine. I want to, that gun to come out up on target and the triggers being pressed and I'm not thinking about it. Right. Like, I'm making the decision obviously, but I, the shooting itself and the, the competence or the level of skill at which it occurs, it just happens. Yep. So I, I would hope that uh, more people would see that and understand that and have a desire to, to try to get develop their skills to, to a place where, where shooting can happen more or less automatically. Um, what do you think holds 
some folks back from whether it's getting into competitive shooting, whether it's coming and taking a training course. Um, that's that's enough of a hump to get folks over sometimes. Like, what do you think are the biggest um, holdbacks for people? And you talk about your own experience where you just sort of, you jumped in and you knew that you wanted to get some training. And so you just went and did it. So your experience is a little bit different than maybe some folks. Absolutely. You know, as far as kind of the way you're wired and the way you were thinking and everything, but, but I mean, what do you think, like, how can we help more people get on the, on the path of enlightenment, if you will? I, I think it's twofold. Um, I, I think it's, it either comes, you know, like not wanting to try competition or not wanting to go to a class um, either comes from a path of either fear, um, fear of the unknown, um, fear of failure fear of embarrassment. Um, you know, a, a lot of that is fear. Um, the other side of course would be pride or ego. You know, a lot of people are like, again, you know, like, Oh, I learned from my grandpa who was a world war II veteran or, Oh, I learned from my dad who, you know, was in Vietnam or my uncle who, you know what I mean? There's, there's always somebody's uncle's brother's nephew's, you know, son who, you know, fought in the military or, did something that took them to the range one time, or, you know, they, they, I hate to say this, you know, they, they watch one YouTube video, you know, or they watch a bunch of YouTube videos. And I'm not saying this from a standpoint of like, obviously I provide YouTube con uh, content. Um, I know, you know, Riley, you and I, you know, we try to bombard uh, social media with, uh, you know, with our presence, as far as, you know, always wanting to help folks, um, you know, but um and a lot of times it's, it's very well received and other times um, just, you know, kind of like I, I kind of keep a tally on that stuff. A lot of times, you know, people, they, they want to, they want to ask for validation, not necessarily for help. And again, that, that is, that's an ego or a pride thing that kind of gets in the way. So uh, I, I think a lot of it is they either need to check fear at the door or they need to check ego or pride at the door. Um, just, and just like step in and do it. Um and I, I think a lot of it is also misinformation. Um, there's still a, a cadre of people that like to preach in a defensive situation. There are no timers, right? In a defensive situation, you've got targets shooting back at you. So shooting cardboard targets, that's not real. And, you know, it's like, well, of course not. You know, nobody goes to the range and like, yep. I'm going to go practice and train today. So they're going to go, you know, like, what are you going to do? Find about five or six homeless guys off the street, hand them a bunch of guns and say, Hey, why don't you come to the range with me and shoot at me while I shoot at you? Like that doesn't work that way. And, and people don't learn and don't develop critical skills or even, even simple problem solving skills in that type of environment. Right. Um, and a lot of folks too, are again, they're afraid of failure. You know, they're afraid of, of looking like, looking like a failure or being a laughing stock for some reason, they've got it in their minds that like, no offense. Like you think that if you're going to be on a squad with 11 to 12 other people, you know, for a day at the range to go shoot a local IDPA or USPSA match that like all eyes are on you. I can assure you nobody cares about your personal performance on a stage or in a match because they're too busy and too worried about caring about their own performance and stage in a match. Right. And it just, it, it just, it is what it is. I, I could not tell you ever that I've come home from a range and been like, Oh man, you know, Jim Bob was at the range with me today and man, he had a terrible match or man, he knocked it out of the park. 
generally he has to point that stuff out to me for me to realize that he either had a good day or a bad day. I'm too busy and worried about what my own day was, you know, um, but and worrying about how I'm going to problem solve, how I'm going to put the puzzle pieces together, you know, and that's the thing about, um, you know, competitive shooting. That's great is you're provided, you know, in with with a stage. Right. So you're provided with a problem. You know, it's, it's basically like somebody saying, OK, here's a here's a 50. Here's a simple 50 piece puzzle. And we're going to dump this puzzle out on a desk in front of you. And you get to put that puzzle together the best way you know how in the shortest amount of time. Ready? Go. Right? So some people start with the middle pieces. Other people start with the outside edge pieces, right? Everybody's got their own little, their own little way of how they want to put the puzzle together or solve that problem the best way they see fit. And that's the best thing about competitive shooting is that you get that opportunity to problem solve or to critical think yourself through a problem or a series of problems to come up with your best solution in the shortest amount of time, right? All while doing this with a pistol in your hand that you then have, you know, you're accountable for every round fired, right? So there's so many different little layers or pieces to the puzzle that need to be, that, that need to be thought about, what we don't want to do is have to think about them all at the same time. So this is where taking training comes in or just getting more, you know, being able to, to, to put yourself in that situation more and more is, you know, like by shooting more matches and, and competing and taking classes is that there's, a, like you said, a level of automaticity to this that becomes, a, again, a subconscious competence. Now, if I, you know, if I'm really good at just shooting the gun, Right. And understanding the relationship between sights and target and trigger. Now I don't have to competent, you know, to consciously think about that. Now I have freed my mind to think about other things like how I'm going to get from point A to point B in the shortest amount of you know, time or how I'm going to have the gun prepared to shoot through this array or how I'm going to activate this, you know, this moving target or how I'm going to open this door and have the gun up ready to shoot this next series of targets, you know, to, to put that together. Now think about that just from let's 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 transfer that from shooting a stage, right? Or shooting in a competitive environment. Think about how much that frees up your mind just in a problem-solving environment of I hear something go bump in the night or I hear a window break in the downstairs of my house and I know me and the kids are upstairs, but I am responsible for ensuring their safety, right? And the safety of my household, what are you going to do? How are you going to solve those problems? Do you really want to be having to think about, oh my God, I need to, I need to hold the gun better. I need to grip the gun. I need to watch the sights and I need to do this. And I need to do that. Or would you rather, you know, because you have spent some time, you know, kind of playing those, those awful gun games that might get you killed in the street, so to speak. Um, but, but being able to have that level of competence, like I know how to keep my gun pointed the direction that I'm looking. I know how to traverse through my house and keep my family safe from the muzzle of this gun, as well as being able to keep them safe from an intruder that came into the house. I also know how to identify a, a target. I know what to do, right? I've opened my mindset up and my, my brain power to, problem solve those other things or, or find solutions to those other things that don't always necessarily include just, you know, 
eerily and shakily opening up the door and yelling down the hallway, I have a gun, you know, and then hoping to God, you don't know, you don't, you don't have to use it, but even if you did, how are you going to use it? Right. So that's, it just adds to the complexity of a problem, whether this be in a self-defense situation or a home defense situation, or, you know, I, again, the, the fun aspect of it is learning how to do this on a Saturday or Sunday at an outdoor match, you know, that costs you anywhere between 10 to 25 bucks or something like that, you know, and you get to meet like-minded people. You get to meet other folks that I guarantee are hungry to want to share information and help you and, and teach you and, and see you succeed. Right. So instead of being fearful of like, what do other people think? I promise you, there's no fear to be had there. Instead of having the ego of, I know everything and nobody's going to show me anything. How about check all that stuff? Yeah. How about just show up, you know, and, and just ask a couple of questions and say, Hey man, I'm new to this. I would love to learn how to do this. I would love to just spend a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon or a morning or whatnot, just getting my feet wet and, and dipping a toe in the water. And I promise you, I mean, honest to God, my best friends, and this includes you in this, the best friends I have made have come from the shooting sports. They have come from training environments. They have come from this, again, this, this, this life that we call gun ownership and second amendment. And it just, it, I mean, I've surrounded myself and people have surrounded them themselves, you know, with little bits of me and you and, and everybody else too. I mean, it, 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 it's the greatest thing in the world to have, you know, like to get to shoot matches with whom I now consider my best friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and, to get to go travel across the country and shoot big matches with people that I still consider some of my absolute best friends. I may only get to see them once or twice a year, you know, at, at different parts of the globe, but it's, it's amazing. The, yeah. you know, the, the level of friendship and the level of relationships that you build all in a means of supporting you and you supporting them and supporting each other to get better at this, again, this, this kind of martial art. Yeah. Well stated. Well said what would be some of the core guiding principles, if you will, uh, of your curriculum? Like what, what, what really is at the heart of what you, what you're trying to teach and communicate to your students? Uh, um, uh, probably a loaded question. <laughs> sort of. Um, I, I think, you know, from a, from just a pure shooting standpoint, um, I, I think, and it's the thing that you probably, you know, just from in class, um, hear me probably harp on and even just on the internet, you know, when we're kind of we're bouncing ideas back and forth too, is like the absolute importance of what I feel are just two and only two major fundamentals of shooting a handgun. And I think it's gotten convoluted. That message has gotten convoluted so much through, um, you know, through so many different outlets. Um, I I think the NRA has got, what is it like seven fundamentals of, of marksmanship and and us concealed carry, you know, their, their program is like the six or five or seven steps or whatever of, of, you know, fundamental marksmanship. Honestly, if you boil it down, right. If, If you were a chef and you were taking all of those things and you boiled it down to render it to, it's most like kind of true ingredients. The two most true ingredients in, in handgun shooting are simply to grip the gun in an effort to hold the sights as still as possible. 
right? So it's grip and site management. If you do those two things together, everything else becomes a byproduct of your ability to hold the gun still and hold the site still and your ability to manage those sites all the way through whatever level of pressure that you put on the trigger. And if you can get folks to understand that it's not the rocket science that some dude on some YouTube channel or some guy on the internet told them one time or some old instructor, you know, that's kind of old and set in their ways that it's just stuck to the same curriculum for the last, you know, 55 years of teaching shooting has told them about stance and breath control and trigger control and all of these other things that make you individualize every single component of that instead of like it, it, Honestly, like the most success I see in students are when you simplify the process down to the, to, again, to those two key ingredients. You know, now I don't have to think about, again, it's, it's I don't have to think about a hundred things, right? I don't have to have the brain power to kind of muster through seven or eight different things I'm trying to do to solve one problem, which is putting around accurately onto a target where I want that shot to be. Right. And you're thinking about all those things, just like, you know, in a stage, you're thinking about all of these things. The things you don't want to have to think about is the actual shooting part of it. You want it to be automatic. So if you can make, you know, again, render, render it down to just the, the specifics. The biggest thing is don't be thinking about all of the things like stance and breath control and, you know, where you're biasing your weight. Are those things sort of important individually? It on their own as a separate concept, sure. But as a whole, when you're trying to add all of these different layers and textures onto a, a new shooter or even a, a, a very experienced shooter, you're making it harder for them to process a, a checklist, you know, a, a mile long of information to have to like to constantly go through just to simply do two things straight, hold the gun still while you apply pressure to the trigger and manage what those sites are doing while you're doing that. If you can do those two things, I promise you success is within that, that very first press of the trigger. Right. And a lot of the anticipation issues, a lot of the, you know, the, the flinching issues, a lot of these other issues that people have go away almost automatically. Right. Because, again, you've you've leveled the you've leveled the playing field. You've leveled out the, the brain power needed. All it has to do is process two things. And basically, you're processing those two things as one entity or one process instead of this this multi-layered, multi-dimensional. Now you got to think about this. Oh, and before you do that, you need to think about this. And oh, before you do those two things, let me go ahead and throw this other plethora of things at you, too. And just absolutely at the end of it people walk off the line confused, you know, mm -hmm. or, or they're over or they're paralyzed by, you know, that, that paralysis by analysis, you know, they're, they're too busy thinking about like, well, I, maybe I, I, I lost that shot because I wasn't standing right or, Oh, I should have held my breath or I should have been breathing out or I should have been this or should have been that. It's like, no, you simply just didn't hold the sight still <laughs> while you apply pressure to the trigger. Right. Mm -hmm. That's it. So yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, so that's kind of my biggest, you know, like passionate moment of what it is that i I feel is like at the absolute, like that takes foothold of, of my curriculum is, 
the ability to simplify that process to write to just like I meat and potatoes. That's it. Um, the other thing I think from a, from a purely practical shooting aspect of it. Um, and a lot of people, you know, from gamesmanship like to talk about like movement and there's, you know, God, I, I think in just the last 24 months, I probably have seen 15 instructors, you know, want to jump on the bandwagon of movement and athleticism and um, shooting on the move and all of these other things. But, you know, but they completely don't want to teach fundamentals of marksmanship, right? Because they, but they believe their student base is bored with that. And they're frankly, they, they say them to themselves, they're bored teaching it. I promise you, you're, you're only bored teaching it because you don't understand it. And when you don't understand it, you have no way again of rendering that information down to a means of conveying it, you know, sometimes eloquently and sometimes just very simply to a shooter to, to see them reap the benefits of just being able to hit a target, you know, being able to get, be confident behind the gun. Um, but again, like from a practical shooting standpoint, kind of get back on, on track with that multiple target transitions, being able to move the gun efficiently from one target to the next target, which again, doesn't require movement, doesn't require changes in stance, doesn't require anything else. It's simply then how to keep your vision at the absolute forefront of what it is that you're doing. You know, so I, again, you know, grip, grip pressures on the gun um, and being able to manage the sights. And we, we talk a lot about different, uh, different visual techniques and different means of being able to do that because everything that we do in shooting, right. It's a very visual, a very visual thing. You know, um, obviously if you can't see a target and you can't see the sights, it's very hard to line those two things up. And you know, I, I'd say it, most blind people, yes, they can press the trigger, but they couldn't shoot accurately simply because it's, it's a vision based process. Um, yeah. You know, in that vision based process, then being able, being able to derive that into, you know, exponentially more things like being able to transfer, you know, transition the gun from, from one target to the next target to steal to, you know, to whatever um, aiming to a, 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 an easy target to then driving your vision and your, your focal acuity to, a very small, um, you know, maybe a more difficult target and being able to make that switch on the fly. So, I mean, obviously, so to speak, thank you for coming to my Ted talk today, right? (laughs) You know, like you don't need the two day class. You could just practice these two things and you'll be great. But I mean, obviously there's a lot of layers of things that we need to, it's not add on to, but it's layers of things that I like to strip away in class a lot of preconceived notions that a lot of, a lot of students that come to my class, um, you know, think about, or again, have these, have these notions that, oh, well, these things are important. And then when you, again, you strip away or peel away those layers and kind of render that stuff down to like, okay, just focus on these two things, you know, and then they do it and they go, oh my gosh, that was so much easier. Like, I didn't even have to think about it. It's like, you're welcome. You got it right. That's now you're starting to understand, even if it's just for, a, you know, a one repetition or one one set of drills. Right. If you're able to to then be able to see that that aha moment of what unconscious competence even remotely begins to look like or feel like, then now I've got you hooked. I've got you, you know, I've got you in the place where now you understand it. Now it's up to you for basically the rest of your life 
to seek that out and search that out in everything that you do. You know, and it's not just saying with a gun, that's in everything that you do is, is learning to better or, and better fulfill that unconscious competence or that desire to be so good at something that it's, it's simple, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of this, you know, when you really think about the, the shot process, you know, a lot of people, again, they, they, they just think about it and think about it and think about it. And they're like, oh man, there's just too much to think about. That's really, really hard. And it's like, nope, promise you shooting is one of the easiest things to do. It's one of the simplest things to do. Mm-hmm. Is it always easy? As Rob Latham would say, nope, it's not always easy. It's only easy when you, again, have stripped away those layers and just, just focused on those two things, you know, and then learn to blend those two things into one thing. And then that one thing just blends into, again, now you've got that, that subconscious confidence that, you, that you're looking for. Yeah. You know, the way you just explained a lot of that, uh, the impact it can have on a shooter by making the, the, the process as simple as possible or helping the student to understand it in the simplest way, man, a simple, simplest way possible is, uh, is it can have a huge effect on them. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, probably everybody's familiar with the video that came out, I think probably about five years ago, Rob Latham aiming is useless. It's one of my most favorite. <laughs> yes. I remember when that came out and um, it had a profound effect on me because I remember, I remember where I was at in my own journey, my own mm-hmm. shooting journey was like trying to figure out what, what's the next piece. Like, what am I missing? You know, what do I lack yet? And watching that, you know, a lot of people see the title of the video or they even watch the video and they completely miss oh, yeah. what he's really saying, right? <laughs> but but it, it took like he spoke, he spoke to my soul and I was like, whoa. And just like the change in perspective for me was was huge. It 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 helped me to like really focus my efforts on what really mattered. And what really matters is like you just said hold the gun, grip it, you know, and hold it still, mm-hmm. as, still as you can. And, and and your wording, I think both you and Rob are saying the same thing, but you put a more of an emphasis on site management, which I think is awesome, um, by the way. But it's hold that gun still so that your sights are on that target and stay on that target, because if they stay there, then doing this is easy. Yep. Yep. Right. And then you don't even have to think about, right. And that's where people get really wound around the axle um, is trigger control. Yep. Oh my God. If I hear that, you know, that term, and I, I do believe there is such a thing and that should be, we should always be working to and striving for a better level of trigger control, but I don't want trigger control, like brain power to, you know, to process the concept of individualizing what this finger is doing separately from my ability to manage the sights onto a target. If we individualize that, all right, or you start thinking about trigger control as it's, as again, some separate, more important piece of it, then the problem is, is that you, you start to put too much brain power into how you're controlling the trigger and then you forget that, oh, yeah, I'm still supposed to watch the sites and manage the sites and manage this grip all the way through it. So I, I kind of tell folks in class, right, that if you're gripping the gun adequately, 
right? And uh, I'm not going to give away everything, you know, in class. But I mean, it's it's whatever you might be thinking. You're probably close, and whatever you're not thinking is what's. I think what we could get you there all the way with as far as grip pressures and how to apply those grip pressures well to the gun. And the reason you're doing the grip pressures, right. And you're focused on grip is in an effort to hold the gun, the entire gun, not just not even thinking about the sights, but to hold the gun as still as possible so that visually the only thing that you have to do is manage those sights. Right. And by managing the sights, that's kind of all encompassing. If I'm thinking about doing nothing more than just managing the sights, my level of trigger control works itself out automatically, right? I don't have to think about staging the trigger, you know, to like staging it, you know, taking the pre-travel out of it and taking it to the wall and then making that, that, that conscious thought, okay, hold the sights now, hold the sights, hold the sights. Okay. Ooh, the sights are good. I better hurry up and, you know, and capture that brief moment in time. I've individualized the trigger from my ability to manage the sights. And when I individualize those two things, this is where flinches happen. This is where um, anticipation of recoil happens. Um, this is where that that kind of that low left, if you're a right-handed shooter or you're a low right, if you're a left-handed shooter, this is where, again, all of those indiscrepancies and inefficiencies in our shooting come from. In my, in my humble thoughts is that people are trying to apply brain power to something that shouldn't have any brain power applied to it, right? Because when you apply brain power to one thing, again, you can only do a certain number of things, right? We can only multitask a certain number of things with hundred percent efficiency. If my first job, my, my, my primary job is to manage the sites, then everything else I do is subconscious to my ability to consciously hold the sites as still as possible. And if I'm consciously holding the sites as still as possible, my body is going to make every concerted effort it can, you know, brain to eyes, to hands, to finger, to pressure, right? Musculature to make the trigger press and not have the sights move. But the minute I start thinking about trigger control as a separate entity, then again, I end up with, with that almost like, okay, the sights are good. And I take the slack out. Well, when I took the slack out, I let the sights go. So now I've got to rebuild the sights again, all while I'm trying to hold this, you know, hold the, the pre-travel on the trigger, right? And keep everything kind of preloaded. And then I start to get that, what we, you know, uh, Chuck Pressburg, you know, kind of calls it target panic, right? Or I'm sorry, maybe Chuck, I know, calls it target panic. Uh, Steve Fisher also, you know, kind of refers to it as like target panic, where you're you're watching the sights kind of float and move around and you're, you're just trying to catch it. And so you're trying to catch it so bad that the moment that the sights just kind of float across it or they stop for that brief moment in time, even if it's not perfect, you yank, right? Because we're going we're gonna to try to catch that at right then and there. And it's, again, it's because you're trying to multitask too many things. So that, that's where I tell folks, trigger control is, it's over- it's overemphasized and it's overcomplicated. You know, I think Robbie says it best when he's talking about like, you know, of course I'm slapping the trigger, you know, like that's the goal in shooting is I should be able to actuate the trigger with whatever level of force needed to make the shot happen and still have the ability to hold the sights as still as possible. So, you know, I mean, and it emphasizes it even in that, uh, in that particular video, you know, that the lack of, of trigger control, being able to just aggressively yank or pull or move that trigger with whatever effort is needed for whatever the shot is that he's demanding. 
So if he's shooting at a longer distance, do you think he's probably going to slap through the trigger? No. Subconsciously, his body knows what it takes, just like subconsciously, your body already knows what it takes to do something carefully when you are visually associating managing the sights to to that level of accuracy that you're expecting. Mm -hmm. So why do we need to teach trigger control? We really don't. Honestly, and therefore, like in my class, I don't teach hardly a lick of trigger control. We, we touch on it, but it's not something that is, that is, you know, it's, it's, I hate to say it, it's kind of blasphemous to the, you know, to the, the old guard of, of shooting. Right. But it's honestly, it's just simplified. If I get the student or I get the shooter to just do nothing more than just consciously manage your sight pictures. Right. Yeah. The trigger control itself is a byproduct of that. It works itself out. You don't have to think about it. Now I freed your mind up to do other things. Yep. Uh, that's spot on, man. It, and it took me way longer than it should have to figure that out. But uh, that's, that's exactly how I think of it now. I mean, it, when, when we are on a close wide open target, we, we don't need much of a perfect sight picture. We, we can accept very loose, or a gross or unrefined sight picture because we're close and it's big and it's right there. Mm -hmm. The time to go like, Hey, once it's there, send it. Right. So it'll, it doesn't take very long to get that aligned. So this guy here is working like this, right? Stretch that distance out. And now we have to take a little more time, exercise a little more visual patience, let things settle a little bit. And meanwhile, that thing, you know, my, my fingers, it's ready. It's ready. And it's just, you know, it's just, I kind of, that's, that's how I think of it is that, that they're my sight picture and my trigger finger is like made it together. They, they really truly work together. Exactly and, right. and you're totally right. You don't have to even think about it. Um, yeah. So I see a lot of times in the industry, there's a lot of talk and a lot of effort spent on practicing this practice this, practice this. We have so many training tools that do that. Um, and a lot of times a, a phrase, now we're getting to the title of the podcast, the phrase that's thrown out is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Oh. So I know this is a favorite of yours and you probably get tired of, you know. <laughs> You've touched my trigger nerve. <laughs> so it, and we're probably over time already, but I, I we got we to gotta totally thrash this out. We got to, we got to have this uh, yeah, no. discussion right here, right now. So, yeah, I mean, the, and now the slowest, smooth, smoothest, fast, does it have a place? You bet it does. Right. I mean, but I think it's been, again, it's another one of those catchphrases that was really cool to say 20 years ago. And then 10 years ago, it really took on this whole different meaning um, and now again, it's, it's this catchphrase that's used for everything and people just say it because they, they one time heard somebody say it. They have no idea the context in which it was actually said to begin with, but man, it just sounds good. And it makes me sound smart and it makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. And it, it nothing again could be farther from the truth. So slow, and I want everybody to listen to this, right? Slow can be smooth. It's not always, but slow can be smooth. Fast can also be smooth. But when people try to take, they articulate slow is smooth 
And smooth then just becomes the equal to, to fast. So if I go slow and I work slow reps and I build some sort of, of, of conscious competence, you know, that turns into like a subconscious competence automatically, I'll be able to apply that at a faster rate of speed. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't, right? Slow can be smooth. And guess what? You'll be smooth, but you'll be slow for a long, long time. So everything that we typically, again, that we do in shooting is derived basically visually. So everything that we, you know, everything that is is visually, is vision-based to us, our eyes drive that speed and that's what, you know, it's, it tells your brain when to start pressing this trigger faster or when to have to start pressing the trigger a little more controlled or when it's okay to watch the sights lift and move really, really fast or when I really need to manage that sight picture to an almost absolutely stopped level. The, the problem is, is if we let our vision dictate every single aspect of our shooting, we end up building these limitations, Right. And these limitations kind of quantify into um, folks that, that speak of like, oh, man, I would love to learn how to shoot faster splits, but I just can't seem to make my trigger finger pull the trigger faster than like 0.35 or 0.40 splits, right? Half second splits are a little faster than half second splits. And that's multiple shots, you know, multiple shots on an individual target. Or you'll get folks that say, oh, man, I just, you know, at seven yards, I can shoot, you know, one whole groups, but at 25 yards, my accuracy goes to hell. And it's like, well, what changed? Nothing should have changed except visually what it is you're accepting or visually what it is you're, uh, you're willing to let go of, right? And if we're allowing our vision to dictate everything, unfortunately, your vision is also, um, you know, kind of your safety net. So, you know, we'll, we'll shoot. And if we start shooting a little faster than our vision will allow immediately, you know, your eyes tell your brain, whoa, 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 stop. I didn't see any of that. I don't have any control on the situation. So therefore we need to slow down. Right. And so that's, that's your brain then saying, okay, I'll tell the finger to slow down or, okay, I'll tell the hands to slow down or whatnot. So you can't, you can't do that. Um, and, and in order to to build that that faster rate of speed, right, to make the slow as smooth turn into smooth, then turns into fast, is I have to let go of slow. I have to let go of perfection. I have to let go of especially visual perfection or one hundred percent visual input to allow myself or allow my brain to just understand what it is a what it means to just go at like my, my physical maximum, even if it's just for one rep. The great thing about vision, right, and our eyes are, and I, I preach this a lot, is you, your eyes are the most adaptable. Um, they're, they're, all, they're the fastest to adapt. They're the fastest to heal, right? I mean, the, the eyes are just an, an amazing organ or muscle, right? And that's, and, so they can see things from a far away. You can immediately look at something very close and immediately your eyes can adapt to something up close and focus instantaneous, right? Your eyes can see things at rates of speed that you had absolutely no idea even existed when you start to put things on a clock. But the problem is, is if we're allowing ourselves as very visual creatures 
to only allow our eyes to dictate the speed at which we do things, then we get comfortable and we get complacent, you know, and, and everybody like likes to, to cover up with that security blanket of visually, this is what I'm comfortable with. I'm not going to allow myself to go anything faster than what I visually perceive. So the very first thing that we have to do, especially like in my classes is let go of vision. Even if it's just for one repetition of something, I want you to do something faster than what you visually saw it. And then I want you to do it again at that same rate of speed. And then I want you to do it one more time at that same rate of speed. And by the third attempt, I want you to start giving me a little bit of feedback information visually. What is it that you're actually can see? And within three to four reps, whatever they assumed, right, was completely impossible to see at whatever level of speed. Now they're seeing it. They might only see it a little bit, but they saw a glimpse of it. And a glimpse then turns into an even larger glimpse. And then a larger glimpse turns into now they're seeing an overall picture. You know, and that overall picture then turns into, oh, man, I'm seeing the entire movie now, right, at, at, a, at a high rate of speed. A, a simple way to kind of to illustrate this would be, and I, I kind of use this in classes, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure you probably heard this too, was think about a ceiling fan. Most everybody has a ceiling fan in their house or has seen a ceiling fan whirring away, right, in their house. And you immediately just look up at a ceiling fan and all you see is just like the overall circumference of the blades just spinning, right? It's very, very hard to pick up an individual blade and what it's doing, right? It's, it's something is moving faster than visually what you're comfortable processing. Mm -hmm. If you pull your vision back just a little bit and you just look at it, you'll pick up one blade and you'll pick up that one blade and you might catch it a quarter of a revolution. And then you might catch that blade a half a revolution. Then you might catch that blade for two or three revolutions. Next thing you know, you're able to see that blade as you kind of pulled your vision back to just something to being able to just see the overall broader picture. You could look at that one single blade and watch it spin at whatever speed on the fan and, and see it in great detail, what it's doing and all of the, all of the information that it's giving you, right? So shooting faster is a lot the same. People are afraid to, to kind of dip that, that, that toe in the water, you know, on the fast scale, because visually their brain is saying, uh-uh, I didn't see it. If I didn't see it, it didn't happen. I need to slow down and, and pull back. So they immediately pull back. So they, they, again, they built these, these limitations. So to let go of those limitations, it's let go of your vision for a moment. Just understand what it's like to just let the gun shoot. As, 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 and let your finger press the trigger as fast as it can, you know, and you're going to do it for two or three shots and then you're going to do it for two or three shots again, but you're going to start to see a little bit more and see a little bit more. And then all of a sudden you're perceiving almost everything that you need to from the sites and you start to build these building blocks in your brain of what becomes acceptable versus what was once impossible. And now what was once impossible, not only is acceptable, it's what I'm striving for. And then that becomes the new this is what I perceive possible, right? And that, and that's in a nutshell. So the, the slow is smooth. You're always going to be slow. You'll learn to do it smooth, but you're going to learn to do it slowly smooth, right? You can also do things smooth at a fast rate of speed, but you're never, you're never going to do those things until you get your vision out of the way or get preconceived notions out of the way and learn to just, just to, to execute at your, absolute pinnacle of your human ability right now today. And it may not be right. Your human ability is going to step up and even be better 
tomorrow, maybe not tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. I'm constantly finding, and I'm, I guarantee you guys like Rob Latham and Jerry Mitchell, like, and all these guys have still even, even as old and decrepit as Rob Latham is. And I say this with the utmost respect for him. I love him to death, but right. But even, even in his more advanced age, Robbie is still able to pick up, you know, levels that he didn't deem possible 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Right. If he's doing it, I know I'm doing it. I know you're doing it. I know every shooter on every line in every class I've had across the country last year, year year before, and this year are doing it and can do it and will do it. I mean, that's just how we progress. But we progress that way systematically by getting, again, we we have to kind of, we've got to leave fear or leave control at the door at some point. Yep. That's very true. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is when we start shooting at speed, at higher rates of speed, uh, it looks different than any you know it looks different we don't we don't have a, a uh, we don't have a framework for it already you know the first time you shoot really fast it just looks like a blur it's just wow you know like what's going on uh and you're exactly right like the eyes can see way more than what we think they can way faster than way faster than we can move anything uh and uh we just have to give ourselves the opportunity to, to get used to what's going on, pick up on patterns, on visual patterns of what's occurring. The eye goes, oh, wow, look at that front sight. I thought it was just a blur, but actually I saw it lift and go up and come back down, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I remember the first time I had the thought watching a professional shooter shoot and thinking, how can he see that fast? I guarantee I was getting ready to just bring that to your attention. I was like, remember the first time that you watched somebody really, really, you know, pull the trigger really, really fast in like a six round build drill. And, mm-hmm. you know, my initial thought was, okay, they must be doing some weird voodoo magic or something of just being able to hold the gun there because there's absolutely yep. positively no way they can see the sights yep. until or they're just point shooting all time. Right. And, and of right. course, you know, we, we see these arguments now from folks all the time, you know, and again, it's, it's folks that just haven't, they, they've yet to come to experience it for themselves on what it, what it's like to do that or see that for themselves. Right. So, and then that's, that's just, that's just it. I get told that all the time. And I, like I said, I remember believing it myself, just like you, it's like, there's no way that dude saw his sights, you know, in 0.18 splits or 0.20 splits. And when the reality is of it, I was like, Oh my God. Now when I shoot 0.20 splits, it's like, I could tell you everything about the first, the second, the third, the fourth, you know, all the way through however many shots I took. If I took two shots on a target, I know what those two shots look like, even at that rate of speed, you know, and it's, and it's, again, it's, you also have to induce that imagery, you know, to your vision so that your vision can start to put those puzzle pieces together to kind of weed out what's important versus what is unneeded visual noise, right? So the like kind of tracking the sights all the way through the recoil process is a complete track of the sights all the way through the entire lift and the entire return necessary? Not at all, not one bit, 
right? But so many people get hung up on something that somebody told them sometime at a range day. Uh, they go, oh man, you know, you want to you want to grip that gun to mitigate the recoil, so you know, mitigate the recoil as best you can, so that you can man, you can watch the sights all the way through the recoil process. Why? Why do I care how high the sights lifted? Like once the sight had just begun to lift or once the dot in a, in a reticle just begins to lift in the glass as the shots fired, I'm good. Right. And then I don't need to, to process any more information until the site comes to a, you know, comes to an abrupt stop at the end, you know, for the next trigger press to be pulled or for the front sight to come back down into, you know, the, uh, the rear notch again and get sight a lot proper sight alignment again. So what I'm looking for is kind of more of that. How did the site just begin to lift and recoil? What did it do just before the site began to lift and recoil? And then how did the sites return? What it did between bang here and all the way here, whether it lifted off this way or off that way or anything else, I don't care about, right? It becomes that, that, information overload that people, I think, get wrapped up around the axle trying to, again, trying to, to tell themselves that, that that information is important for some reason. I'll tell you right now, when the sight's lifted out of the notch like that in recoil, I ain't shooting the gun there. So why do I care? Mm-hmm. I, I physically can't shoot the gun there, right? The gun's out of battery. It's doing what it's mechanically designed to do, which is extract a spent case and feed a new case into it. And you know, once the sights then come back to, you know, what they call battery again, or once the slide is completely closed and the gun is back on target again, now I get to start that visual process over again. So I think too, too many times people are trying to, to build too much information and they overwhelm themselves with too much visual input versus just, again, weeding out what's important and what's not important. And the guys that can do that really, really fast are the guys like, you and I now, they can shoot, you know, a, a, a sub two second drill, right? A draw the gun and fire six rounds onto a target and see in great detail only what is needed to call every single one of those shots mm-hmm. as it's happening, right? Yep. That's and true. again, it, it just, it takes somebody to be exposed to that first before they can realize, you know, that, oh, I can see that. But I promise you, you can promise yep. you. Yep. Yep. And that, that was my point. We can see so much more than what we think we can. And then once you start seeing it, uh, to your point, it's all about figuring out what, what do I really need to see yep. to make this shot? That's the shot that uh, that's required in the moment. Well, brother, this has been uh, awesome. And uh, there's been a lot of great comments too. people, uh, you know, appreciating uh, great info uh, says boom sound 724 on YouTube. <laughs> um, so, uh, Tim, this has been awesome. I, I'd keep it going, but um, we, de- we generally do about an hour long episode and we're about an hour and 20. So no, no problem. Thank I'm, you Riley, for having me on, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, of course, uh, we'd we'd love to have you back again. I'd love to come back down the road if you if you if you care to. Absolutely. But uh, before we let you go, any last words? Anything that you feel like you should have said and wished you but wish you had but didn't? Or also, if if you feel like you're totally happy with where this has ended up, uh, tell the listeners or viewers where they can find you, uh, whether it's social media, websites, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think, uh, I think, I think we've spoke pretty in depth on, uh, on the, on the things that uh, were, were great content for this episode. So um, if anybody has any other questions or would like to, uh, to train with me, um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm teaching, I think I've got 30 or 31 classes on my schedule. Um, and that schedule is, uh, is published in, in is public knowledge on, um, on my website, which is Tim Um, and it's just T I M H E R R O N S H O O T I N G.com. Um, and so there's a, the whole list of all the class offerings that I have. And in fact, I'm working on some new curriculum that, um, I'm hoping to be able to kind of drop by mid year this year. Um, I know with the, uh, with the ammo crisis and ammo crunch, kind of the way it is, folks are, you know, maybe a little apprehensive to train, you know, maybe a big two day class. It's a big time commitment. It's a big money commitment as far as, um, ammunition needed. Um, I have made a, a few changes to my curriculum though. Um, even for my full two day class though, where we're not really going to expend more than about 550 to 600 rounds of ammo. And for a two day class, that's a, that's a, a pretty light uh, round count um, for a two-day class. But I'm also, again, working on curriculum for a one-day, um, eight to 10-hour class um, that should not use any more than about 250 rounds of ammunition. Um, so there'll be plenty of shooting and plenty of learning going on. Um, but every round that you'll fire, just like you do already in my two-day class, every single round that you fire, you're going to be accountable for which is great. You bring that shot accountability into it. Now people are practicing with purpose and they learn to practice with purpose. So um, again, uh, all my offerings as, as far as classes, I also do online um, uh, kind of in a format kind of similar to this where we can sit down in like a Zoom meeting or um, like through Skype and we can talk face-to-face -face with students and we can talk about, we can work on anything from visual exercises to uh, bettering and improving your dry fire to, um, you know, if you're, if you're a kind of an accomplished shooter, uh, you know, and been maybe going to the range and shooting, um, whether it be practice or matches, you can give me match footage and we can talk about match footage and break those things down and try to, you know, and, and work together to find solutions to build a better you. Um, so those are all different outlets that, uh, that uh, I offer um, just through training, like I said, through timherronshooting.com. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel, which as you guessed it, is Tim Heron Shooting. Um, and, uh, that YouTube channel, I provide a lot of, uh, uh, what I feel is to be a lot of great content, uh, regarding a lot of the things we talked about today, um, visual, uh, visual references and vision and grip and grip, uh, you know, site management and, and grip pressures and how they apply to the gun and accuracy and different levels of accuracy and all kinds of good stuff there too. Um, I can be found on YouTube, I'm sorry, on Facebook. Um, just at Tim Heron shooting or Tim Heron. And then I've got also an Instagram page, which is also Tim Heron shooting. So there you yeah, have it. I, and I, I try to be one of the most, um, <laughs> one of the most approachable people you, I, I can be and, and to accommodate everybody. So, um, I mean, don't, don't be afraid to send me a, a you know, whether it be a private message or, or a direct message or send me an email. Um, I do my best to answer every single message or email that I possibly can get. Um, I, I love talking about this stuff and I love to help folks. So. Awesome, man. And I know that's true. And uh, folks, I encourage you to train with Tim. If you can make time, do so. All right. You can go to his website, you'll see his whole lineup of classes. Chances are he's within 
couple hours of just about any, you know, no matter where you are in this country, he's probably within a couple coming to within a couple hours of where you might be. So uh, check out the calendar, get signed up, go do some training and have a great time. So Tim, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate you and all you do and look forward to the next time we, we talk. And so until next time, folks, train right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. Thanks guys. 